Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And they perform the most crucial function of the position. This guy, seriously, I don't know what they're going to do with him. What can he do for a defense? Because he can't cover and he can't tackle. At what point do you cut the cord and just say, these aren't the guys? Well, second DBU, after after the Seminoles. Check the all-pro team. If it sounds like crap or anything messes up, blame Kevin, not me. Trust the tape on me, you know? Don't don't look at my track record. Just trust my tape. Playoffs or bust, baby. Say it a third time, I'm, I'm worried that you're going to put the jinx on Thank you so much for threatening me on, on my own show on our own show they're masters of none jack of nothing welcome into another edition of take it to the bank this is our special preview episode for week one of the regular season it is finally here football season the regular season is finally here and we are so excited we got we got to see a somewhat boring i guess you should say 18 to 12 shootout with the atlanta falcons and the philadelphia eagles the super bowl champions are now one and oh the eagles defeated the falcons and my biggest takeaway was that the ravens should be grateful that steve sarkeesian is not their offensive coordinator because that guy baffles me with how idiotic he is and i hate to call him that but it's just it's baffling to me at some of the things that he does and on that note what's going on vasily everything's good logan locked and loaded can't wait to see the new look ravens take the field on sunday dude that that falcons game was brutal i i if i'm a if I feel for any Falcons fans, you know what I mean? It's crazy to, to see the amount of talent that they have on that offensive side of the ball. They have a solid offensive line, plenty of playmakers, playmakers galore, I'd even say. And they have a pretty good quarterback. Some say he's elite. I don't. I wouldn't go that far, but I think he's top 10, top 15 either way. And they can't perform. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, Julio Jones in the red zone, where has he been? Why are you pulling him out of the red zone? Like, it makes no sense to me. That kind of that, that logic and that thinking that Steve Sarkeesian's doing over there in Atlanta. I I don't disagree. That was abysmal play calling, especially in the red zone. Absolutely, I I don't understand it. I don't get it. But let's we're a Ravens podcast. Let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens and kind of the biggest news that we've we've been going off on each other about in our group chat a lot is that the Ravens are seemingly right now as of Friday at eleven thirty three a.m. They're going with James Hurst at right tackle and Matt Skura at center. I think Matt Skura at center was probably expected. That's not much of a surprise, but James Hurst at right tackle, that is a red flag. That's a dangerous move, and do you disagree, or you think they're making the right decision here? I think this is a horrible decision. The signs have been there all throughout the offseason that they did want to have Hurst starting, maybe considering the contract that they gave him, 
but I think it's a terrible decision. Um, and the Ravens are, are apparently, according to some, undergoing a youth movement. But if you look at their original depth chart that was released, not zero of the 12 rookies they drafted are starting, including Orlando Brown, who is now going to be the backup to Hurst, despite the fact that Hurst has been a very well below average tackle throughout his career, and he did not play a single snap of right tackle in the preseason. So unless there's some grand ruse that uh, all of a sudden they're going to reshuffle the deck, I think this offensive line is really going to struggle. Well, the, the thing to note is during training camp and during practices, Hurst was getting some reps at right tackle once Marshall Yonda got back. That's kind of what they did. They were kind of splitting it with between Brown and Hurst. But I still don't understand it. I still don't get it. It pisses me off because it's this youth movement like you were kind of talking about where they they're just want to give it to the veteran because he has experience. I didn't like Marty Morningweg's answer to the question when he said, why is Hurst starting? I didn't like John Harbaugh's answer to the question when he said, it said uh, Hurst was starting. I don't like it. It's idiotic, and it's setting Joe Flacco up for failure because, yes, we will talk about the Bills later. They are not loaded at the edge position, but they do have a couple of quality guys that I think could beat Hurst. For sure. I mean, Trent Murphy, Jerry Hughes. I mean, these guys are, are big household names, but they are serviceable players that I think can beat James Hurst on a consistent basis. And I'm not sure they can beat Orlando Brown Jr. on a consistent basis. Orlando Brown Jr. did everything we wanted him to do in the preseason. He did everything that, that he was asked to do. Yes, he had his mistakes. Yes, he struggled a little bit, but these were all rookie rookie mistakes. You know, up and down flow. That's what you have to expect. But the bottom line is he was he was far better than he was worse at times you know what I mean like he was far better than not you know what I mean like he's so much to me he showed you he showed you that the, that the tape is better than the combine performance he showed you that he can be a very good tackle I mean he had great hand movement great kick slides I mean great awareness of the situation when we talk about the Ravens complex running games it just makes no sense to me why they would do this again to Joe Flacco because and I'm not even talking about the James Hurst injury I'm just saying it makes no sense because the Ravens need to start out hot and I'm not so sure you're going to be able to do that with a crappy offensive line. This decision clearly demonstrates the Ravens' potentially fatal flaw. They value experience over talent. They've shown us time and time and time again that they would rather put a lesser player who has experience on the field ahead of a more talented player, such as Brown. They don't want to deal with the rookie mistakes, the mental errors, which is really a sign of a of a scared coaching staff in my mind. And I think it's it's a massive mistake. It doesn't stop there. Kenny Young is listed after Peanut on the depth chart. Averett, Anthony Averett, is third string behind Canada. And as we know, they decided to put Deshaun Elliott and Greg Sinat on injury reserve before cutdowns, meaning they cannot return this season. After last season, we were all pretty much in agreement that the Ravens could potentially challenge for the AFC crown if they were able to have a 2017 New Orleans Saints-type draft. But uh, but here we are, without any rookies expected to make an immediate impact. And uh, this experience over talent, it really it manifests itself throughout the organization with their roster building. They continue to sign old, washed-up, injury-prone veterans, which has also been very detrimental to their salary cap situation. So I wouldn't go that far. I was with you until you kind of said that they're not going to make much uh, impact right away. I still think Kenny Young, even though he's not listed as the starter, 
I still believe Kenny Young's going to get in, especially on obvious obvious passing downs. I think he's that's going to be a rotation kind of thing, LBBC, whatever, linebacker by committee, whatever you want to call it. That's going to be situational. I think Kenny Young's still going to make an impact from week one on. Uh, I think eventually, as the season progresses, I think he's going to turn into more of a three-down linebacker or whatever until they throw in the nickel and dime packages, things like that. But he's going to play more often than not, I think. So Kenny Young, I still think, is going to make a big impact from, from day one. Jordan Lasley, not. I'd be surprised if he saw any snaps or saw, saw the field at all in week one, maybe, maybe later in the season if some of the wide receivers struggle. But I wouldn't expect to see Lasley. But Brown was the, was the one that really pissed me off because you look at the, their, their mindset. You look at their philosophy. That's something we kind of talk about a lot on this show, particularly, is the Ravens' philosophy. Is it right? Is it working? And I don't know how you can say that it is working when you look at – their free agency tactic, and this is a kind of point you you and I were kind of discussing, is that what they do is since they let these rookies kind of like wait it out, like you know they don't really get see much of much of the field until year two, year three, and then they, and then they know what they have, and then they, by the time they know what they have and they're trying to extend them, they end up hitting free agency, and then these guys get overpaid elsewhere, and then you don't get to keep your your guys. So it's a it's a cycle where you keep letting your draft picks go to other teams and perform for other teams. Meanwhile, you're you're not bringing in as much talent because you're signing old over-the-hill injury-prone veterans. It makes no sense to me. It Honestly, I don't know what they think sometimes. Exactly. You know, that, that's a key point. They don't let a lot of the young guys play until their third or fourth year, and then it's too late to offer them an early extension. Just look around the league for a moment. Pittsburgh is expected to start uh, Terrell Edmonds at safety. Seattle is going to start Shaq Griffin at linebacker. Jerome Baker for Miami. Darius Leonard for Indy. All these wide receivers, Michael Gallup, Anthony Miller, uh, DJ Moore, Calvin Ridley, Jesse Bates in Cincinnati, McGlinchey in San Francisco. The list goes on and on and on. And these other teams want their talented players on the field, but Harbaugh prefers the scrappy veteran to the talent. The bottom line is the Ravens need to get Zeus, and I hope you're right on Kenny Young, and Mark Andrews, and even Lamar Jackson in some special packages we need to see them on the field ASAP. We need these rookies to have an impactful season if the Ravens are going to snap this three-year postseason drought. Well, it, it's idiotic, and it's very short-sighted, and it's that win-now mode mentality, which I'd never really disagree with. Okay, you think you have the talent. You think you got a good roster. You can contend for a title. I'm not going to argue with that, that you go for it. But I also think when you're in a win-now mode, good teams that are that feel like they can contend, they also let their rookies play because they also are looking at the future. There's a there's a way and there's a philosophy and there's ways to do it where you're contending for titles, but you're also trying to build for the future. The Saints did it last year. How many rookies did they start last year and they were incredible? I mean, they were that one fluke play away from getting to the NFC Championship game. You know what I mean? I mean, we could talk about cap management. We could talk about terrible philosophies for days on this whole thing, but... I want to I want to kind of switch gears a little bit. Let let's get to this matchup, this week one matchup. We did our week our week one preview, our schedule preview all the, during the offseason. We talked about the Bills, we talked about the additions that they made, some of the key losses, the biggest losses in my opinion of the offensive line. They lost three starters from last year, Richie Cognito, uh Everything that's happened with him, Eric Wood, no one was expecting the neck injury that forced him to retire. And then they traded away Cordy Glenn, actually, to the Cincinnati Bengals in the AFC North. So they got a couple new starters along the offensive line. What, what are you kind of thinking with this Bills team? What are the matchups you're really looking for? Well, before we get into matchups quickly, I just want to mention some, some trends here. 
Uh, all the trends are forecasting a comfortable win for the Ravens. The Ravens are now a seven and a half point favorite in this game. That's been bid up from about three, three and a half a few weeks ago. Over the last three seasons, the Ravens are five and one in September and eleven and five at home. Meanwhile, Buffalo is only six and twelve as an underdog. Um, and also worth noting, this game does have the smallest point total over under in the league this week. So uh, so they're expecting a defensive slugfest. But as far as the matchups, the first one to me is going to be Terrell Suggs against their left tackle, Deion Dawkins. Dawkins actually played at a very high level in the second half of his rookie season last year. And uh, I'm hoping Suggs is going to be able to provide some pressure and force Nathan Peterman into some interceptions. That is going to be a matchup to watch for sure as well because Deion Dawkins, as you mentioned before, had a solid second half of the season. And what I, I kind of watched some film on the Bills to kind of figure out what they're, what they're about. And their offensive line, from what I've been talking, I, I went on a Buffalo Bills podcast, the Buffalo Rumblings podcast that's out now. You can listen to it. And, and I was talking to the guy, uh, the Bills guy, John Vacasino, before the, before the show. And I was saying, what's up with this Bills offensive line? Like, well, who's going to even start? Because during the preseason, they, they were kind of messing around with all different all different combinations, seeing what works. And he told me that the, the biggest concern for them is the right side and the center. He, they said we're confident. On, he said that he feels confident in the left side, and you'll hear from John later in the show. But he said he feels confident in Deion Dawkins. So that's kind of the matchup to look for because I think Dawkins, I think it's going to be a very competitive thing with him and Suggs, and maybe Judon can go over there as well. Maybe maybe throw Zaria Smith there. But I think the bigger matchup kind of just along the offensive line versus the Ravens defensive line is going to be when they put Zadarius Smith at the three-tech spot, which is something they've done in the preseason. They've kind of floated with that. When they put him at that three-tech spot, he's got to beat those guards, and I think he can. He, he does a nice little – sometimes he'll do a swim move. Sometimes he just does a bull rush. Other times he'll kind of – he kind of mixes up, but other times he'll, he'll do kind of a cross chop. He'll do all these different moves, and I think he's really effective in that three-tech spot, especially against a team with really shaky guard play. So that those are going to be matchups. Maybe, maybe Brandon Williams can notch a sack. Maybe he'll get, like, in the double digits after this year. Who knows? knows in his career that maybe maybe I don't know maybe I'm I'm expecting too much from a guy that they paid all this money for that can't rush a passer I don't really know but that that's kind of what I'm looking for yeah that's a good matchup there I think Pierce could probably provide some interior pressure he had a monster preseason um next matchup this is flipping sides of the ball John Smokey Brown against that talented secondary Buffalo's secondary is absolutely the strength of their team with Tredavious White the second year man Vontae Davis and hide the safety and I think the Ravens are going to take quite a few early deep shots to John Brown they said they want to go vertical be more vertical this year if they connect on one or two of these deep shots they could really break the game open but uh but these defensive backs are pretty good they they definitely can match up reasonably well against the Ravens new look receiving room yeah, Jordan Poyer is definitely also one of their strengths. He's a safety for them. I really like him as well. They have they have a very talented secondary. Kind of stats last year would tell you otherwise, but this is a very, this is the without a doubt one of the strengths of their defense, one of the strengths of their team in general. And I'm curious to see how the Ravens look to attack them because the the Bills last season, from what I saw in the film, kind of depending on the matchup, they kind of switch up their scheme, which is pretty standard in the NFL. I watched the, their game against the Falcons last year, and they ran a lot of man concepts. And the way that the Falcons kind of beat them is what the Falcons would do is they would shift tight ends kind of in motion to kind of create favorable matchups with their linebackers because I think that testing cornerbacks is pretty – testing their cornerbacks might not bode well for Baltimore. 
Baltimore. I have because I'm not confident in this receiving core yet. They have to prove to me that they're going to be dominant or they or they can create separation consistently. I would test their linebackers in coverage, particularly Lorenzo Alexander. I would find ways to match him up with Javarius Allen, maybe even Alex Collins, but but specifically tight ends. Get that matchup with a tight end and a linebacker and try to exploit it because those linebackers and just in general are kind of weak in coverage. And the other thing that I noted, and I think you'll get to this in a little bit, but uh, in terms of the running game, Outside zone plays work very well against Buffalo. Their linebackers are not very quick. The one exception to that is Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds is very, very good. He's very athletic. We kind of talked about him in our scout in our scouting notebook before the draft. We talked about that he was a little bit of a raw prospect, 19 years old, kind of just an athletic freak, but raw in terms of his football IQ. So I think you can find ways to kind of beat him with your eyes and that's what you're gonna have to do because Tremaine Edmonds in college I mean you look at his highlight tape he's got that great sideline the sideline speech you're definitely gonna have to find ways to trick him a little bit and make him overcommit to one side and just keep going the other way but running away from that that interior rush is gonna be key for them because I don't think Skurro's gonna be able to keep up with them definitely that uh, Star Lutulele their defensive tackle they actually paid 50 million dollars over five years a massive overpay there but he definitely has some penetration ability he if he can get past Skur and get in the backfield he can blow up some of those those plays before they even get started so can Skur handle him or is he going to need help from yonda on a double team or lewis and then if you're double teaming lutalele who is who is going to get to the second level and cut off edmonds because he does have great speed sideline to sideline as you mentioned Absolutely. And your third matchup is? Well, it's going to be C.J. Mosley against LaShawn Shady McCoy. McCoy has outlived all of his peers and is continuing to produce well into his second contract, which is very rare for a running back this year. But I do believe, especially with all the turnover on the interior of the offensive line, that this may be the year he falls off a cliff. And I think Mosley, he's going to be able to – to neutralize McCoy and stifle McCoy reasonably well in this game. But uh, but we'll see. The offense really does flow through McCoy, so that would be a determining factor. I definitely agree because C.J. Mosley, and we talked kind of at nauseum about this, he had a relatively down year in 2017. We didn't like what we saw from him much in run defense. We didn't. Li- I certainly didn't like what, we, what I saw from him in, in pass coverage as well. But the, the way that the Bills' offense works – and is it revolves around LaShawn McCoy, at least last year. But the thing to note is that this is going to be a completely new offense. You know, I, mean, I already talked about the, the new offensive line, three new starters. Uh, but you also have to look at new quarterback, Nathan Peterman, instead of Tyrod Taylor. We might, I mean, we might even see Josh Allen if this game gets out of hand, but I don't expect that. So Nathan Peterman is going to be the starter, and I'll get to my scouting report on Mr. Peterman later. But the wide receivers are weak as well. So I think the way that they're going to have to do it is they're going to have to find ways to shut down Shady McCoy. All the focus needs to be on stopping Shady McCoy and forcing Peterman to beat them. I would expect the Ravens to run a lot of cover one looks, maybe cover two man if you want to go that route as well, but a lot of man coverage in this one because I think the Ravens corners have the edge against the Buffalo Bills' weak wide receiver core. I agree. Definitely agree with that. I think coordinator Martindale is going to stack the box, get some wide bodies in there, and and force Buffalo to try to beat them through the air. And really, the only... Their only potential playmaker at receiver is uh, Kelvin Benjamin, formerly of the Panthers. Now, Benjamin, he's not an elite talent or, or upper, upper echelon receiver by any means, but he is a massive target at 6'5", 
225, 230 pounds. And when healthy in Carolina, he did have two very good seasons, uh, very close to 1,000 yards per year, as well as um, seven, eight touchdowns per year. And with the Ravens, I think their best bet is going to be to match up Brandon Carr, as Jimmy Smith is still suspended, um, because Marlon Humphrey, he doesn't play the jump ball very well. Uh, and Carr, on the other hand, very strong, savvy veteran. He can do some press coverage, disrupt the timing of the routes, and also he can, he can contest those jump balls. Wow, I never thought I'd see the day that you didn't talk so highly about a former Florida State player. I never thought I'd see the day. There's a first for everything, right? Absolutely. I mean, let's be honest. He's really the only uh, pass catcher they have worth mentioning. Oh, I thought I thought they were uh, the best the best school in America, bro. I thought well, we'll get we'll get into our college arguments later. But no, I I certainly agree with you. Kelvin Benjamin's really the only threat, and that kind of brings to me my question because I've seen a lot of different people kind of take different stabs at this, where they're saying, well, should well should they have just Humphrey shadow him, or or should they just kind of let it go and just and if you feel confident with Carr or Humphrey guarding him, if it were me, I'm having Humphrey shadow Kelvin Benjamin because Kelvin Benjamin. Despite what you want to say about his, his weight, because I know love people love to say, oh, he's overweight, he's slow, or whatever. He's got great body control and body positioning. I, th- I think that he could abuse Brandon Carr, certainly with that big kind of tall frame that he has, big body, and just able to kind of just out-muscle him and just win all those jump balls. So if it were me, I'm taking Humphrey, and I'm letting him shadow uh, shadow Benjamin. Even though even though Carr is, is better at, at press man and, and a, bigger, a bigger corner? I think that Humphrey is better in terms of the ability to kind of match Benjamin and kind of shut him off in terms of his positioning. Even though Carr is a little bit better in press man, which I think won't be the case this year, but last year I think he showed that. But this year I think that Humphrey is going to take that next step and I think that he'll get more experience under his belt. And I, I think he's got a shot to, 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 to take over and kind of dominate Kelvin Benjamin for sure because – I love the way that Carr shadows out of the press coverage, and I love the way that, that Carr, or, or sorry, I love the way Humphrey shadows out of the press coverage, and I love the way that, that Humphrey kind of uses his hips to kind of angle the receivers to the outside, because that's the way you have to beat Benjamin, is you got to just, any receiver in general, is you got to force them to the outside and force them, force them to have less ground, and I don't know if Carr can do that. Fair enough. Uh, I guess uh, maybe we'll see both of them have an opportunity to cover him. But personally, I'm not I'm not super concerned or really worried about Charles Clay, the tight end. I know the Ravens have had trouble with tight ends, but he just at this stage of his career, he doesn't have that breakaway ability. And Zay Jones still has a lot to prove. But uh, but let's talk a little bit more about the man that's going to be passing the ball to them. Nathan Peterman. So I actually real quick, I want to chime in on Charles Clay real quick. Charles Clay, I kind of disagree with you on that. I still think he can make an impact. I mean, I think he's got like back-to-back. Or I think he's got the past five seasons, he's had at least 500 receiving yards. I think that's going to be another big matchup to watch is how are the Ravens going to try to shut him down? Are they going to use Kenny Young? Are they going to try Eric Weddle or Tony Jefferson again? Are they kind of just going to go zone in this thing? Like, what are they going to try to do to kind of neutralize the tight end position? Because Charles Clay was a big target for them. I think he led them in receiving yards last year. So let's watch out for him, you know what I mean? Because I think he's someone that the Ravens need to focus on on stopping in addition to Shady. Nathan Peterman, everyone wants to talk about his five-interception game against the Chargers. I get it. I, I don't hate the idea of doing that, but when you watch the game and you watch the interceptions, I what I noted was that two or three of them were his fault. That's it. A couple of them were 
were bad throws, bad reads, late on timing, things like that. And I understand that. Those were all Nathan Peterman. No no question about that. But other times, receivers would drop the ball, tip it up, and it would go to an interception. You know, one, the pick six, I think one of the pick sixes actually beca- was because of a drop pass by a fullback or, or H-back. So you look at that. I think Peterman's better than the five-interception game. I don't know what his ceiling really is, but I think that he's better than the five-interception game. He's got really, really good mechanics from what I've seen. I was actually talking to Michael Crawford about this, one of the other writers around Baltimore, and we are talking about he's got great mechanics. The only issue that I saw with Peterman is he's kind of late on throws, and he's a little bit inaccurate at times. He's a little bit inaccurate in terms of he'll kind of overthrow balls, and, and, and his, his arm isn't lively, I should say. His arm, he doesn't have that great deep ball strength, so he, he's very good at the short to intermediate throws, but deep ball accuracy is just not there, and I just don't think he can make those throws. But the thing about him, and I, and I give him credit, is he's willing to throw any ball. You know, I mean, there was a throw against the Patriots when he went in the game last year. He made this throw, and I'm not sure how many quarterbacks make those throws. Like, he made a very good tight window throw, so sometimes he'll make really good throws, and other times he'll make really bad throws, but the thing with him is you got to get pressure on him, because once he gets pressure, he makes bad decisions. That's kind of the key with most, most inexperienced quarterbacks, and that's what you got to do with him. you got to pressure him. Sure, and I hope that this is going to be a, a breakout game for uh, for Timmy Williams after his his very successful, uh, dominating preseason. Um, we ready to to move on to our bold predictions? Yeah, the yeah the quick thing I want to mention before we get to our bold predictions is the scouting report that I did. I'm, I'll have an article out on Saturday, kind of with my in depth scouting report. Just quick kind of footnotes, as I mentioned before. Linebackers have to get them moving, kind of sideline to sideline. Not very good there. Not good in coverage either. So you want to test them, create mismatches with the linebackers or run or with the running backs and wide receivers. Kind of match them up with linebackers. You also you don't want to target Tre'Davious White. I would avoid him at all costs if I was Joe Flacco. He was very good last year. Doesn't matter who he was matched up against. I really liked him. John Boccasino actually said that he thought that White should have been rookie of the uh, defensive rookie of the year. I'll disagree with that, but still he played to a very high level. Offensively, for the when the Bills have the ball, when the Ravens are on defense, obviously you got to find a way to stop Shady McCoy. But the, the Bills like to run a lot of kind of stretch zone, stretch run plays, and things like that. So you that that that's going to put a lot of pressure on the linebacker, C.J. Mosley, Patrick Owasu, whoever it is, Kenny Young, whoever it is. You have to get sideline to sideline. So. Expect to see a lot of that. You got to utilize the trap, if, the trap run if you're the Ravens as well. Kind of neutralize Starlow to Lele because I don't think Matt Skur is going to be able to take him. But yeah, we can get to our bowl predictions now. What are, what are you thinking? What do you got? All right, I think that the Ravens are going to to jump up early in this one and and secure a reasonable lead that uh, that does put Peterman into in a position where he has to play catch up in the second half. And so, therefore, I'm going to predict that Tavon Young secures not one, but a pair of interceptions. And I think with the Ravens' edge rushers coming off and putting some pressure on Peterman, he's going to be forced to to target his slot options. And I think Tavon Young is primed for a monster season beginning in week one. Unlike most people, everyone's saying everyone's saying that the Bills are going to lose or the Ravens are going to win by double digits. Everyone's saying this is going to be a blowout. I don't think so. My bold prediction is that this is going to be similar to that 2016 opener where it's a tight, low-scoring game. So I don't think the Ravens are going to steamroll this team by any stretch because I think the Bills' defense is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. And I think the Bills, their strengths kind of match up well with Baltimore's weaknesses. You know what I mean? They're, one of their greatest strengths is, is their is their front four guys, their front, their front seven in general, but their front, their spe- specifically their defensive line. And I think one of the Ravens' biggest weaknesses on the offense is their offensive line. So I don't think this is going to be a blowout by any stretch. 
I tend to agree with you. My other bold prediction is that Joe Flacco is going to pass for less than 200 yards. I know a lot of Ravens fans are hoping for an offensive breakout and, and really a big improvement from the passing offense this year. Unfortunately, I do not see it in this game. Maybe that down the line a little bit, but not in this game. Considering the weaknesses at center and right tackle, if they do go with that depth chart, you also have you're also contending against Buffalo's talented secondary, um, and then really the off the uh, starting offense only played a handful of drives in the preseason. They haven't faced a whole lot of live competition, expecting them to automatically click on week one and become some efficient offense. I don't think that's going to happen. So uh, therefore. I think Justin Tucker, my final bull prediction, is going to knock four field goals, field goals through the uprights. Could be a perfect four for four, despite a little bit of struggles in the preseason. The Ravens' offense is going to get bogged down in the red zone, as they have for the last two or three years now. As the field shrinks, I don't think they're, they're going to be able to uh, to dominate. I do project a double-digit win, 19 for the Ravens, six for the Bills. But it may be one of those wins that that has people uh, leaving some to be desired after the game. My final kind of takeaway from this and our final segment here. So everyone's been ripping me for the Rave for saying the Ravens are going eight and eight. What do they have to do in your mind? Because you kind of are in the same boat as me, eight and eight, nine and seven, seven and nine, somewhere around there. What do they have to do to get to double digit wins? What do you have to see from this team and what do they have to prove in order to get the double digits? The way I see it, the Ravens have two main weaknesses, one on each side of the ball, and both are right in the middle of the field. And they are Matt Skura at center and Tony Jefferson slash Eric Weddle at free safety. If they can find solutions there and find some schemes that make it work a little bit better uh, and they can get by with not exceptional play from those two positions, but just good enough play. I think double digits is realistic. I think this this Buffalo game is not going to test them quite as much, but that Thursday night game, week two, is looming on the horizon in Cincinnati. And if they don't get this offensive line straightened out, I could easily see Cincinnati putting up five-plus sacks. I definitely agree with you on there. I think Matt Skur and Tony Jefferson certainly hinder them, and they're going to decide if it's going to be maybe – a 6-8 to eight win season or maybe an 8-10 to 10 win season. So we'll be watching those things. The last thing we're going to talk about here is going to be college football. It is back. It, the, we had a, a great week one of college football, a lot of ups, some upsets, some up and down things. I mean, Miami got trampled by LSU. I don't know if I really saw that one coming. but we'll, And we had Nick Saban kind of go off on a reporter, which was kind of funny in itself. I mean, whatever. But what are you thinking about this? What are you looking for this week? Who, what are some guys you're looking in on, you're locking in on? What are some matchups you're, you're keying in on as well? So college football week two, not a great slate of games. Really, we haven't gotten into conference play too much yet. Uh, quite a few cupcakes, if you will, are going to be baked. Uh, I have three games I'm keeping an eye on, though. The first one is Georgia against South Carolina in a SEC East tilt. Georgia is absolutely loaded with elite young talent. But uh, South Carolina head coach Will Muschamp he is a, a defensive mastermind. I think he might be able to keep it close in this one. And there's a marquee matchup. Two potential first-round picks should be going head-to-head in this one. And they are 
South Carolina wide receiver Debo Samuel versus Georgia cornerback DeAndre Baker. So that's that's one to watch for sure. So the wide receiver position for the Ravens, I think, is going to be one that we're going to have to monitor throughout the entire college football season because I think the Ravens still should select the wide receiver in the, in the upcoming NFL draft, whether it's first round, second round, whatever. They should. couple of guys to watch. Arizona State, Nikhil Henry, absolutely electric, was phenomenal in week one. That's a, that's a guy to watch. I really like him. I think that he could kind of – he might be my next Michael Gallup. But – it's going to be hard to take over for DK Metcalf. This guy's got everything you need. Size, tools, body positioning, body control, great route runner. He could he could turn into a first-rounder, in my opinion. Then on the same team on Ole Miss, you have A.J. Brown, who's just an absolute stud, and I think he's going to be the first wide receiver taken. And he's just been he's been everything and more in week one. Can you imagine if the Ravens actually drafted a elite number one receiver for once and kept him in the organization for six, seven, eight years. That would be a thing of beauty. The second game I'm going to keep an eye on here is going to be the Clemson Tigers at the Texas A&M Aggies. Jimbo Fisher, new Aggies head coach. He has had some success against Clemson defensive coordinator Brent Venables, but I don't see it in this one. Clemson's defensive line is ferocious. They, in all likelihood, have four first-rounders on their defensive line. 2018, excuse me, 2019 first-rounders in Cleveland Farrell, Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, and Austin Bryant. And I don't see uh, the A&M offensive line holding up against them. I'm predicting a blowout. Well, you mentioned it on last last week's show, and this is, this is going to be a terrible game, Ohio State versus Rutgers. But Nick Bosa has been everything has lived up to his high billing and more. Incredible against Oregon Oregon State in Week One, and I think he's going to have another field day against Rutgers at home. And and I really like Nick Bosa. I think he's going to be better than his brother Joey as of right now. It's the year of the defensive line, it seems, and uh, don't be surprised if the Ravens do go in that direction. I'll just throw one more defensive lineman out there quickly. Raquan Davis is a could really be a drop drop in plug and play five tech for the Ravens so as long as that if they do go defensive line early if it's a pass rush I'm okay with it if it's a run stuffer please know we have enough of that final game on the week two slate Southern California at Stanford this is going to be a high scoring affair we have David Shaw's pro style offense featuring running back Bryce Love for the Cardinal versus the Trojans and they actually have, we're looking a little bit down the road here, but an extremely impressive uh, true freshman quarterback, JT Daniels, who actually skipped the senior year of college. So he's well on his way, already starting for a powerhouse like USC. And his main target, his go-to man, was his high school teammate, also a true freshman, Amonra St. Brown, the younger brother of Equinamius, who is now playing for the Packers. Deontay Thompson, safety from Alabama. We talk a lot about how the Ravens need, need help at safety. I think he could be the answer. I'm not really sure yet where he's kind of going to go, what kind of range, what, what, what his range is. I think he's going to be a high pick. That's my expectation. And he could be really good because he had an interception against Louisville, and I know that it was a blowout. Alabama completely steamrolled him. But he looked very comfortable that safety position. I liked what I saw from him, and that's a guy definitely keep your eye on. Deontay Thompson, safety from Alabama. That's going to be it. We'll, we'll be keying you guys in, keeping everyone updated on the college football world. We're going to obviously talk a bunch of the Ravens stuff. Stay tuned for that, and let, let, let's hope that the Ravens come back with a victory on week one. So we, we have some good news and good things to talk about on Monday morning. 
Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.